Good morning. If you've never met me, my name is Mikey Warren, and I have just the great blessing to be preaching the word this morning. We will be in Psalm 49 this morning. Psalm 49. Follow along with me as I read and then open with a word of prayer. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Those who trust in their wealth and a boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever. And never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generations of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again we come before you in prayer, thanking you for your word. And we ask God, God, we ask that you would Cause our hearts and our minds to give your word, your truth, attention this morning. That your spirit would be at work to illuminate and to make clear your word to our hearts and to our minds. God, we pray that your spirit would be at work to convict us where conviction is needed. And to encourage us where encouragement and comfort is needed. God, we pray that in all things... As a result of considering your word that we would be conformed more and more into the image and likeness of your son. To whom be all glory and praise forever and ever. 
It's in your son's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, there are two guarantees in this life. Death and taxes. I believe that that's somewhat was made famous by Benjamin Franklin. It's something I think that we've probably said here in this church more than once. And some days that truth and that reality is felt more than others. And the older that you get, the more that reality is felt as well. The older that I've gotten, I'm by no means old, but I've gotten older. The reality of my death and the things that remind me of that are ever-present. More and more than they were before. As soon as I turned 30, there was like this threshold that I crossed. And maybe you've experienced this. Some of you have to think back a while ago to this moment. Where you just feel like you wake up more and more in pain. And I'm sure that that just continues the older and older that you get. Similarly, Christians have guarantees in this life. Have guarantees in this life. And Psalm 49 reminds us of two of them. One, death. And two, it reminds us of the hatred of the world. Which in its own way can be quite taxing. Though more so on a spiritual level or an emotional or a psychological level. And for some, even physically as well. And the big question for us this morning, as we look at Psalm 49, the big question is simply this, where do you find comfort? Or where do we find comfort in the face of death? And where do we find comfort when the hatred of the world surrounds us? What do we look to for comfort? What do we look to for hope? Where do we find it? And Psalm 49 teaches us to find comfort in three things. The first, we're to find comfort in relying upon God's word and wisdom. Secondly, the psalm teaches us to find comfort in remembering the world's end. The world's future, the world's fate, the world's destiny. Where it will end up at the end of all things. Thirdly, this psalm teaches us to find comfort in resting upon our redemption. I've been teaching now for a week and I've already mastered alliteration. Three R's, relying, remembering, and resting. This is how this psalm teaches us to find comfort. So let's consider the first. Relying upon God's word And his wisdom. Verses 1 through 4, Psalm 49 says this Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. The psalmist here addresses his audience. He addresses his audience, and his audience includes all of mankind. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're high or low, Whether you're a king or a peasant, it doesn't matter your status in this world. This psalm and the wisdom is ultimately for all people to hear and to heed. And the intent is both to comfort those who are looking to the Lord in faith, 
But it's also a word of judgment. It is a word of warning to those who are not looking to the Lord and His word and to His wisdom. This is a word, this is wisdom for all the inhabitants of the earth. The ESV in the English here does not pick up well really what the Hebrew says. In verse 2 it says both low and high. In Hebrew it literally just reads both the sons of Adam and the sons of man. And they're making an interpretive decision there trying to parallel what comes next with the reference to the rich and the poor. But the point that the psalmist is making is just very clear and simple. This psalm is for all people, all inhabitants of the world, all mankind. It does not matter who you are and where you find yourself in this world. It is for all of you. Verses 3 through 4, the psalmist identifies the source of his wisdom. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall Be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of a lyre. Where is the source of his wisdom that he's speaking about? And that his heart is meditating upon? What is not wisdom from within himself? It's wisdom from a word that comes outside of him, ultimately. The language that we see here sounds reminiscent to what we see in Psalm 78. You don't need to turn there. But verses 2 through 4 of Psalm 78 say, I will open my mouth in a proverb. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. The point here is that the psalmist is addressing all of mankind to hear this song, to hear this psalm, and to hear the wisdom that he has received from the Lord Himself about life and death And what ultimately is to come. And he's calling all to heed and hear and trust what he is ultimately saying. And the question that I have for you in light of all of this. When you are in the face of death's reminder. Or when you are experiencing the hatred of the world. Whether as an individual or on a corporate level. What Word and what wisdom do you turn to? When you are in the face of death or death's reminder that it is coming and it is coming for you and all people, what word or message do you turn to and look to for hope and for comfort? What source of wisdom do you look for to help you make sense of and respond to this reminder of death or this experience of The world's hatred. The bottom line is that we all turn somewhere. We all turn to something to give us a sense of hope or comfort. To give us a sense of understanding of how to make sense of all of this. Some of us turn to ourselves. Some of us turn to the words and the wisdom of the world. But I hope and pray that we would all ultimately 
especially as those who are trusting in Christ, that we would look to the Word and the Word alone, that we would look to God and His message, and that we would look to His wisdom in the face of death and in the face of the world's disdain and hatred. And we look to His Word and His wisdom to navigate how do we respond. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Is this the word? Is this the message that we turn to? Is the wisdom of God revealed in the person and work of Christ? Is this ultimately what we turn to and look to in the midst of death's face and the hatred of of the world and all that it throws at us. Secondly, where do we find comfort in the face of death and the hatred of the world? We find comfort in remembering the world's end, the world's future, the world's destiny, where it's all headed. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. This is really where this big question comes from. He says in verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Then he goes on to identify and explain what these times of trouble or distress or times of evil actually are. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Or probably more accurately or more literally, when the iniquity of my heels surrounds me. When the iniquity of my heels or when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me. The Hebrew expression is a bit challenging. So most English translations try to offer an interpretation as they translate this passage. And that's why we have a rather different reading in the ESV here than the iniquity of my heels. Because that sounds confusing if we just put that there in the text. What does he mean by iniquity of my heels or iniquity at my heels? Well, what comes to my mind that I think is helpful for understanding this is imagine a dog or dogs. I mean like real dogs, not the little ones that just kind of have a high-pitched yap and bark. Don't text Jason saying I said that you don't have real dogs if that's you. But imagine a large dog. A grown dog or a number of large grown dogs and they're surrounding you and they're barking at your heels. They're nipping at your heels. That's the imagery that's being presented here with this phrase, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of my heels, when my foes, when those people are surrounding me and nipping at my heels, barking at my heels, growling at me. Seeking to put me into a place of fear and submission of them. Why should I fear in those times? And who are these dogs who are barking? Well, he identifies them as well. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me or when the iniquity of my heels surrounds me? Verse 6, those who trust in their wealth and the abundance of Of their riches. These are those who are barking. These are those who are surrounding. 
the psalmist and God's people that he's speaking about. It's those who are trusting in their wealth and they're trusting in the abundance of their own riches. They're trusting in their own power, their own status, their own wisdom, their own might. And they consider you fools and foolish for not following after the ways in which they are. And the psalmist asks the question again, why should we fear? Why should we fear? And he goes on to give his reasons why. And again, reminding them of the world and its end. And those who trust in their possessions and put their confidence in their riches, what their end will be. Verse 7, truly no man can ransom another. Or give to God the price of his life. Um, He reminds us all of the world's inability to ransom themselves from death into eternal life. Truly no man can ransom another. Or to give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. In the ancient Near East, there were differing redemption prices. Whether you were in slavery, there were different prices that you could pay or would have to pay in order to redeem someone out of slavery. There were different prices depending on gender or race and and a number of different things. Age, there were different prices to pay that men or family members could pay to bring you out of slavery. There was also a redemption price that maybe pagan deities would require of their people. That they would have to pay and give donations and possessions and things and stuff. and This would somehow remove them from slavery in the eyes of these various deities. And the problem here that the psalmist presents to all of mankind at the end of the day is that man is by nature enslaved to death. Man is by nature enslaved to death. And there is a set price for his redemption. There is a set price for his redemption. And the reality is that man is unable to pay for himself or for another. Truly no man can ransom another. Why? For the ransom of their life is costly. It is costly. The price is too great. It is an infinite price. Why? Because ultimately the offenses that have been made are offenses against a holy and an infinite God. Therefore, the price that is paid must be of infinite value. And there is no money in the world. There are no possessions so great that one could accumulate for themselves to pay this price. The other thing, the other part of why man is unable to pay this related to that is because fallen man lacks the proper currency to pay this infinite debt. Because the currency isn't possessions. The currency isn't stuff. The currency isn't ultimately money. The currency is of spiritual substance. Man has offended God. He lacks the righteousness required To be in God's presence. And he cannot atone for himself. 
for his sins or for another man. No one can. Not one. So in verses 10 through 14, we're told that the world's confidence, what it puts its boasting in, will ultimately betray them. Look at verse 10. In light of the reality that no man can ransom another, they can't pay the redemption price, it's too costly. He says in verse 10, For he sees that even the wise die, and the fool and the stupid alike must perish. All die. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're wise or foolish in this world, you will die. This is reminiscent of what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 16. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. The wise dies just like the fool. Everyone will face death. And then we're told even further, not only will the wise and the foolish both alike die, but all that they own, all that they own will be left behind. All will be left behind to the dust where moth and rust destroy or it will be left behind to others. Verse 10, again he says, for even the wise and the fool dies and their wealth they leave to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Those who put their trust and their confidence and their riches and their possessions and their own wisdom for how to navigate and get through this world and somehow bypass death, they will be brought to shame. Their confidence will betray them. Verse 11, you can see in maybe your footnotes, it gives you probably a better translation, which says, their inward thought was that their homes were forever. This was the confidence in the boasting of the rich, of those who claim to be wise in this world. They thought they were storing up treasures that would last and last forever. But the psalm reminds them and tells them that it will all either perish in the dust or it will be left behind to others. But this will ultimately lead to a dreadful pattern as well. Verse 13 says, This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. Again, a better way to word that again in your footnotes is, and of those after them who approve of their boasts. So not only will those who put their confidence and their riches and their possessions end up approaching death and realize that none of that will go with them, none of that will be able to bribe and pay the redemption price. Those who approve of their boastings, those who approve in their confidence in their possessions of the flesh, and follow after them, they will experience the same dreadful end. 
And the sad reality is, is that this dreadful pattern continues and remains today. Trusting in the confidence of ourselves and our own power, our own status and our own possessions and our own riches in this life to give us joy and comfort and confidence. It will lead us nowhere. It will bypass no one from death and unto life. James Hamilton, a professor and scholar at a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in his commentary on verse 13 says, Verse 13 marvels at the stupidity of the way of the wicked. Not only do they live for all they can get, without regard for life after death, without regard for God, without regard for hell, they celebrate one another for the things they say. They will incur God's judgment. They are fools. And yet they treat one another as champions of wisdom who have succeeded in life. But the reality is, is they have not. They have not truly succeeded. And they will come to this painful reality at death. Maybe, perhaps sooner, but most certainly they will come to this painful reality Upon death. Verse 14. Like sheep. They are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol. With no place to dwell. All of these being those who put their confidence. Their trust. Their boasting and their riches and their possessions. This world out there that is surrounding the psalmist. That is oftentimes as we may feel surrounding us. God's people, the church. Their end is their destruction. Is what the psalmist says. They will be shepherded by physical death to everlasting death. I can't help but think about the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the rich fool as we consider this psalm, and in particular as we remember the world's end. Most of you might be familiar with this parable. It begins with the man who approaches Jesus, asking Jesus to determine a grievance that this man has with his brother about dividing his inheritance. And Jesus moves forward after a slight rebuke, moves forward in, in telling this parable of a man who accumulates for himself vast amounts of wealth and possessions. His grains produce plentifully. And he recognizes that he has not enough room to, to store all of his things. So he asks himself, what will I do? What shall I do for I have no crops? And he said, this I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and I will store all my grain and my goods. And notice what he says in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. And be merry. This is the wisdom and the way of those who put their confidence ultimately 
in their possessions and their riches. This is those who the psalmist is describing are those who are his iniquity at his heels, surrounding him and God's people, taunting them. And these are many of the same people that today, Christ's people in the church, the world is taunting. You fools. You fools. But the Lord, the Lord will turn and he will say to them, fools. Notice what he says in verse 20. Even if you're not there, it's okay. Luke 12, 20 in this parable. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Fool, your soul is required of you. And these things that you have, whose will they be? Because you cannot take them with you. You cannot take them with you. And they will not pay the redemption price that is required for your soul. We have no need to fear, church, the barkings and the nippings of this hostile world that hates Christ and hates His church. We have no need to fear. We have no need to tremble. Because consider, consider their end. Consider their end. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Again, you don't need to turn there. But notice what is said. For many of whom I often have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is destruction. Their glory is shame. That is their end. But, but, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. But this is not the case. This is not the end for those who are trusting in Christ. Which leads us to consider, lastly, the third comfort. The third comfort. The third way in which we find comfort in the face of death and in the face of the world's hatred. We find it in resting upon our redemption. Look with me at verse 15 of Psalm 49. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Notice he says two things. And they're intimately related. He says, God will ransom my soul He will ransom me. God will pay the redemption price that He requires. But also it says, God will receive me. Literally, God will take me. God will carry me. And there's a direct reference here with this same exact word or in verb in Genesis 5.24. If you remember, you don't need to turn there, but Pastor Chad walked through this passage. Speaking of Enoch. 
Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. For God took him. God received him. God carried him. It's the same verb here. God will pay the redemption price. He will pay the ransom fee. And He will receive us to Himself in His presence for all eternity. How? Through a sinless sacrifice and a perfect substitute. This is the required price for redemption. One that not one of us can pay for ourselves and for another. A sinless sacrifice and a perfect substitute. This sinless sacrifice and perfect substitute is and can only be and ever be the Christ Himself. And this is ultimately the redemption price that is true for both the Old Testament and the New Testament believers. And I don't have a ton of time to unpack all of this. But just know what the Westminster Confession of Faith says in chapter 8, paragraph 6, where it says, Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought or performed by Christ till after His incarnation, yet the virtue, the efficacy, and the benefits thereof were communicated unto all the elect in all ages successfully from the beginning of the world, in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices, wherein He was revealed and signified to be the seed of the woman, which should bruise the serpent's head, and the lamb slain from the beginning of the world, being yesterday and today the same and forever. Christ. In Christ alone. Whether for those who were looking to the Lord and His promises and the types and the sacrifices in the Old Testament by faith, they were looking forward to the Christ to come. Their redemption price is ultimately the same as ours who were looking back at the finished work of Christ. All that those types and shadows and promises were pointing forward to. To summarize so well and clearly in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to pay the redemption price for our souls. So that we might be received by the Father. So we might be brought into His presence as His citizens, as His adopted children and heirs of eternal life. It is only in Christ that we can bypass through death and unto eternal life. 
This is the case for those who were looking forward. Those who would have read and received Psalm 49. And who looked beyond those promises and types and sacrifices and faith and had faith in them. They would have looked forward and they would find their redemption ultimately in Christ. And the same is true for us. Looking in faith to Christ, we are now ransomed and redeemed and we are received as His sons and as His citizens. And one day when we die, we will be received in glory. Where is your comfort in life and in death? In Christ and in Christ alone. Where is your comfort in the face of death? And when the hatred of the world surrounds you? Well, it's in relying upon God's word. Remembering the world's end and resting in your redemption. In light of these things, how should we respond? According to the psalmist, what does he tell us? What does he say? In verse 16, he gives us a command. Gives us this imperative statement. Therefore, be not afraid when man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases. When man in the hatred of the world is nipping and barking at your heels and surrounding you, be not afraid of them. Because when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, his soul will go to the generations of his fathers who will never again see light. Be not afraid. Rest in Christ Christian, you have no need to fear because their end is destruction, their glory is shame, and your end is eternal life and joy in the presence of God forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for those of us who are trusting in Christ for the great privilege that it is to be called your children, blood-bought, redeemed, and adopted members and citizens of your kingdom. God, who one day will die. Some sooner than later, but God, we will die. God, our hope, our hope of bypassing through death and unto eternal life is is Christ in Christ alone. God, I pray that as a result of your word that you would strengthen our faith that you would comfort us, that you would strengthen our confidence in you, that we would look to your word and your wisdom in those seasons of life when death and all of these things are surrounding us and in our face. God, I pray that we would ultimately, most importantly, rest as a result of looking at your word in the redemption that we have in Christ. It's in your son's name that I pray these things. Amen.